Great. Well, it's wonderful to have David with us again this morning. It's been a few years uh, since he was here with uh, his wife, Dari Luce, and uh, it's great that David's with us. This is his 16th church today. He does his 17th church tonight and travels back home to Colombia. Is it after a month being here in the UK, David? And uh, we've supported David and the work there in Colombia for numerous years now here out of the Life of Hope. And it's a delight to welcome David to come and share with us, to update you all and to update us uh, with what's happening out there and to open up the scriptures and bring God's word to us. So thanks, David. Let me hand over to you. Thank you. Well, thank you for that very nice introduction, Stephen. Of course, me and Stephen, go, we go back a ways to about 1994, I think it was, when David Chairman and, and Andrew Belfield, they stayed in that five-star five hotel in Guatemala City, and me and Stephen had to rough it in someone's house, uh, shared a bedroom together, didn't we, mate? And we got very familiar in that bedroom, didn't we? Not that we're saying anything, okay? But good times, good times. Uh, yeah, perhaps not so good times yesterday, or perhaps for four minutes it was good times for some of you. Knott's Forest fans, okay? You, you, had a, you had a sublime four minutes, and then everything kind of went downhill after that, didn't it? Uh, so my team, Man United, uh, we ended up the winners. Well, someone's got to win and someone's got to lose, haven't they? Now, just recently, uh, one of the Oasis of Hope team said the following, Dave, you were made for mission. And that statement kind of resonated in my spirit. And I thought, you know what? That's probably true, so I'm made for mission. I'm going to take that. So how did I get to the place where I finally understood and recognized the truth of that statement? Okay. So I was born into a, a deep-sea fishing family in that amazing, wonderful city of Kingston-upon-Hull. It's north of the Watford Gap. Okay, guys, if you don't know it, Hull is north of the Watford Gap. And um, basically, the deep sea fishing industry was a very difficult life indeed. We used to go to these places like Greenland, Iceland, Bear Island, the White Sea, Spitsbergen. I know you've never heard of those places probably, but they are very cold, alienated places indeed, I can assure you. Now, I'm the youngest of 11 kids. Has anyone got more than 11 kids in their family? Did you mention the number 13? Someone in your family or something, Carol? One of her cousins, youngest of 13. So I'm the youngest of 11. Nine boys and two girls. So it was a very difficult upbringing for me when I was a child and, of course, for my mother and the other kids. We lived in a working-class northern England, okay, and we didn't have much at all. So I have some good memories and some perhaps not so good memories. But one of the memories that I do have growing up, and it sticks in my, sticks in my mind, okay, was bath night, right? <laughs> bath night was on a Sunday night. Now, perhaps you guys, you all go to church on a Sunday night, but we didn't. We got bathed on a Sunday night. 
Okay. Now, my mother used to bring this big tin bath in from the backyard. Okay. Can you relate to that big tin bath backyard, which was situated next to the coal house, which was alongside the outside loo, okay, where you had to shovel the snow in the winter before you could go to the toilet. Okay. So my mother used to drag this big tin bath in, and she used to get this bucket, uh, and she used to uh, eat the water up in, in the bucket, right? And then it was time for the bath. So you all know the biblical principle uh, of he who is first shall be last. Is that a biblical principle? Right? But that biblical principle didn't apply in our house because the eldest went in the bath first and the youngest went in the bath last. So can you imagine the state of the water <laughs> when I got in the bath? I was dirtier when I, I came out of the bath than when I went in it. <laughs> I think that's when I first got the title, the black sheep of the family, okay? Now, religion was a taboo subject in our house. No one ever talked about religion. Nobody could ever speak about that. So when my dad died, we were all amazed that they buried him a Catholic. No one knew he was a Catholic. But we had a Catholic burial for my, for my dad. Now, the truth is, I'd never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ until I was just shy of 40 years of age. Okay? For those who don't know my background or my story, I have to admit that I have a very checkered background. Okay? I've been on the wrong side of law enforcement on more than one occasion. Is that true, Stephen? Right. Pastor Stephen knows all about my background. The Bible says, and we all believe what the Bible says, don't we? Come on. Yeah, everyone's nodding. Everyone believes what the Bible says. It says in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, it says the following. I don't understand what I do because instead of doing the things that I want to do, instead... I always end up doing the things that I hate, okay? That was me. I believed I was a good person. I tried to do the right thing, but somehow I, I always ended up doing the wrong thing, okay? So we're at 24th of December, 1988. And I was alone in my prison cell because I'd been sentenced to four years in prison for a conspiracy to take some money. Okay, guys? Now, at that time, the one thing I didn't need was money. Okay? I owned my own business, Lock, Stock, and Barrel, in the city of Hull. I had thousands of pounds in the bank. I owned my own yacht in Port Andrach, in Mallorca. So I didn't need money. But I didn't know it at the time, but money was my God. Okay, guys, I'm in the prison cell, and I woke up about 4 o'clock in the morning. And when I woke up, I felt this tremendous presence all around me. And at that precise moment, I knew that Jesus Christ of Nazareth had died on the cross at Calvary for me. Okay? I knew nothing about religion. I said, Jesus, if you are real, come into my life right now. 
And guess what? He did. Of course he did. I felt this tremendous sense of peace. Perhaps it wasn't the peace that transcends all human understanding at that time, but I certainly felt something, okay? And I fell asleep. And when I woke up the next day, I was a brand new person, right? Now, the Bible tells in John 8, verse 32, that you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And that's how it happened for me, a Damascus Road-type conversion. So the next day, which was Christmas Day 1988, I was doing my job in the prison. Now, we all know what the best job in the prison is, don't we? The best job in the prison is cleaning the toilets out, okay? 365 days of the year you have to do that. So I'm in the um, toilets cleaning them out, and I said to God, if you want me to clean these toilets out for the rest of my life, I'm willing to do it. So that wasn't a bad thing to say, was it? But that was not the most interesting thing that was happening at that time. Uh, 24 hours before, I didn't have a clue who God was. 24 hours later, I'm having a communication with him. I'm having a conversation with God. And we've got to remember that communication is not only gauged by what the speaker says, but by what the listener hears. Okay, guys, so we need to be listening to the things that God is sharing with us. So I told you a little bit about my personal testimony, simply to put into context where God has brought me from to where I am today. Okay? I can tell you this morning that the gospel of Jesus Christ has revolutionized my life. Okay? So today, I'm the founder of the Oasis of Hope Foundation in the USA. Uh, we're based in Orlando, Florida. Someone has to go to Orlando, Florida, don't they, guys? You know, someone draws a short straw. And we have to share space with Mickey Mouse, but we don't mind doing that in Orlando, Florida. In the UK, we're in Kingston-upon-Hull, and in Colombia, in the wonderful, amazing city of Santa Marta, okay? Now, these three ministries... They all work together in unison with one purpose, and that's to raise the quality of life of some of the poorest families and children in or on the Atlantic coast of Colombia, okay? <coughs> some years back, God showed me why the Oasis of Hope Ministries needed to exist in three countries, because we uh, exist in the USA, the UK, and Colombia. Now, I'm an ex-seaman, okay? And there's one thing seamen know how to do, and that is to splice rope, okay? Now, rope, generally speaking, comes in three strands. So God told me that in order to be able to provide the resources that are going to be necessary to do the work in Colombia, these uh, three strands, which represents a country, they needed to be spliced together. Now, rope, when it's spliced, becomes exponentially stronger than it ever was as its individual strand. The Bible tells us the following in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. 
it says a three-stranded rope is not easily broken. And it's the same with the biblical principle of the ox. Now, one ox, theoretically, can pull one ton, but when you yoke it together with another ox, and it comes the plural oxen, it can pull three tons. So that's known as synergism. But the moral of the story is we are stronger together. We've said it for years, haven't we, in the Assemblies of God. We are stronger together. We can do more corporately than we can ever do individually. We're not only made for family and community, we're also made to be team players, to adhere to the team ethic. And that's what our ministry does in Colombia. We are known as Team Oasis, okay? The cleaner at Team Oasis, a lady called Diana Pacheco Blanco. She cleans the toilets out. She does a great job at Dairy Loose. Your friend, Joe, she's the team leader in real terms. And she's got her job to do. I've got my job to do. We've all got our job to do. We've got about 25 people on staff, and we all support each other. That's why Oasis can punch above its weight and why we can achieve the purpose-driven life that God has called us to do. We are stronger together as well. So as well as founding Oasis of Hope, I'm also an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God. And I was sent out by them at the back end of 1995. So I've been 28 years now on the Latin American mission field and counting. Okay? So what I'm going to do today then is gonna, I'm going to chat a little bit about the ministry of Oasis of Hope. Uh, I'm going to tell you a few missionary stories and I'm going to tie them together in the hope that it's going to encourage you guys. Okay? On my social media profile, it says encourager, motivator, and facilitator. Okay? How many understand that we need vision in order to succeed and make a difference in this hurting world? We need vision to be able to do that. Who remembers the pause, the lockdown, COVID-19? Can anyone remember it? You're all like, stood there. Yeah, it did happen, although the experts said it was probably the beginning of the end of the world as we know it. But we're still here, alive, if not exactly kicking. Okay, guys? Actually, for the ministry in Colombia, the COVID-19 epidemic was probably our most successful time. Okay? Now, I know it was a very terrible time for many people, but for us... It was a success story. Why? Because God gave me a new 2020 to 2030 vision. And at the same time, I received three words from God. Okay? Number one, diversification. Number two, remember the poor. Number three, innovation. So in this vision from God, it reminded me about the story of the wooden horse of Troy. And he gave me a new strategy to penetrate Satan's strongholds in the neighborhoods where we are called to serve. Okay? Now, the story of the Trojan horse is perhaps known to some of you. I don't know. 
it describes how Greek soldiers were able to take the city of Troy after previ previously trying to do it for 10 years, but they had no success. So someone had an innovative fort to build the wooden horse of Troy, and they put a, a select group of Greek soldiers inside the horse. These select group of soldiers were probably the SAS of today. So they hid in the wooden horse, okay? And they left it behind, along with one sportsman. Now the army, the Greek army, sailed away by day and in the uh, cover of night returned. But this one sportsman sold the Trojans that the, the horse had been left as an offering for their, their, their Trojan goddess, Athena, okay? To the Trojans, the horse represented a victory offering, an acknowledgement that the Trojan gods were more powerful than the Greek gods, okay? The horse was pushed into the previously impenetrable city, and we all know the end of the story. The Greeks jumped out and took the city with ease, okay? Some of the communities and neighborhoods we minister to in Colombia are most definitely in spiritual darkness, okay? They're rife with poverty, crime, prostitution, child abuse, domestic violence, no, jo no jobs, and above all, no hope, okay? We are oasis of hope. That's who we are. We bring hope to the people. Now, the Bible tells us where darkness abounds, the light shines brightest. And that's what we have got to be. We have got to be salt and light to the community in which God has called us to serve. Now, the Ministry Oasis has worked in these communities for many years, uh, and we've certainly had some su success, certainly in the area of education and social action projects, but perhaps not so much evangelistically speaking. Okay? So how did the Trojan or story tie into the vision that, and, the, uh, and the words that God had given me. So I'm going to talk a little bit about diversification and remembering the poor. And, and lastly, I'm going to talk about innovation. So Oasis needed a new strategy, okay? Often we need a new strategy to make a breakthrough into the areas that we are working uh, for at any given time. Our arch enemy doesn't mind so much the social action initiatives, but he fears the gospel, okay? Satan fears the word of God, the most, the most powerful component we will ever have at our disposal whilst we're here on planet Earth. The Bible says faith comes by hearing the word. Come on, guys. Faith comes by hearing the word. It's right there in the Bible. And by the way, I never thought we'd ever forgotten the poor because Team Oasis uh, work amongst the poverty-stricken people of Colombia. That's the people group we are called to serve. But perhaps we had focused more on other initiatives for too long rather than seeing souls won for Christ. That's what we're here on planet Earth to do, to win souls 
for Christ. Now, we all know there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? Not that I'm going to skin a cat for any animal lovers out there. Um, but, uh, you know, souls can and have been won by, by our social, educational, medical, sports, and other initiatives that we have in Colombia. However, when you focus all your energies on one thing, it's got the capacity to grow exponentially. The Apostle Paul said, I bring all my energies to bear on this one thing. So I was convinced post-COVID that an evangelistic thrust was what God was instructing our ministry to do. Uh, so we paid attention to that word diversification uh, and we came up with a new fresh strategy, something uh, perhaps a tad more out the box, something perhaps a tad more radical than we'd previously done. Team Oasis came up with an answer, okay? They say, let's purchase, <coughs> excuse me, let's purchase packets of food to distribute amongst the poor. After all, uh, that's one of the basic necessities of life, what the people need, right? And it tied right into our concept and belief in the scripture, Matthew 25, 40, where Jesus says, you know, basically, you gave me food, you gave me something to, you know, that you know the scripture. I thought, haven't we distributed food before? And of course, the answer was yes. Um, but we'd never previously focused all our energy on it. So the dots connected. Food packages were to be our wooden horse of Troy. That was the component we needed to break through into certain strongholds in the neighborhoods where we were working in Colombia. Food packages can only sustain life for a very short period. The ones we give out, the, new, new, the neutral, what do they call it, nutritions, nutritionists, they say that one of our food packets can last a family for a month provide they use it very wisely and stuff like that. But you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, that sustains life, not only life, but eternal life. Okay, guys? So before any distribution of food, we share a simple gospel message, all right? And then we invite the people to receive Christ, and afterwards, we invite them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism, baptism in the Holy Spirit enables and empowers these new creations to break free from the cycle of poverty that they were born into through no fault of their own. So using this new strategy, we've seen hundreds receive Christ post-COVID. We've distributed thousands of packages of food and thousands of Bibles. Okay? God is our provider and God is is able. But there was another interesting little twist to that word diversification. I received further instructions from God that post-COVID I was going to be rubbing shoulders with people of influence. Okay? Uh, they were going to be the ones who were going to provide all the money, and you need a lot of money to provide thousands of food packages and Bibles. They were the ones, these people of influence, who were going to provide all the resources that we needed uh, to uh, fulfill 
our evangelistic thrust. So rubbing shoulders with people of influence was something I'd never done before. So I thought that was diversification personified, okay? Um, now, the money from these uh, companies and stuff, uh, they're not necessarily from the Christian world, okay? That led me to remember the story about the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was actually built from the gold that came from Egypt. Now, the Egyptians in biblical times were the even of that time. But when they provided the gold for the Ark of the Covenant, which actually represented it at that time, literally God's presence on planet Earth, they supplied the gold, so the gold was sanctified by the use of. So our gold or resources that come from the secular world in America, usually the USA, uh, ours is sanctified for what we use it for. And we have been truly blessed since uh, post-COVID. Why have we been blessed? In order that we can bless others. How many know that Christianity is always about others? Okay? Well, what about me? What about me? If you consider yourself a born-again, Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christian, God has got your back. Okay? God is going to take care of you. He knows what your needs are, and he's going to meet those needs. But what about the others? And that's why I say Christianity is always about others. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, says the following. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Okay, guys? Now, one of the three churches have been planted in the townships where we are working at this present time. And another one has been planted in the Guaira. Now, the Guaira is the desert area of Colombia, and we've worked there for over 20 years. We work with an indigenous tribal group called the Wayu Indians, okay? So we've planted another church there. So that's four church plants post-COVID. So Timo Oasis have planted and they've watered. They've simply been obedient, okay? How many know that obedience is one of the most underused uh, words there is in the Bible, okay? Obedience is so central to everything we are as Christians. We need to be obedient to the things that God is telling us to do, okay, guys? So as I said, Team Oasis plant, planted and watered and were obedient, but it was God who gave the increase, okay? Vision brings discipline. How many like the word discipline? Eh? None of us like that word, do we? We all associate it with being in, in, in class at school or something like that, and we got disciplined, or our parents disciplined us. But in actual fact, vision does bring discipline. So like I mentioned earlier, <coughs> the Apostle Paul said, I bring all my energies to bear on this one thing, okay? He was laser-focused on whatever his priority project was at any given time. Now, I believe I'm the same, and I encourage Team Oasis to do and be likewise. I personally bring all my energies to bear on, ad on advancing 
and creating a sustainable platform for the Oasis of Hope Foundation. So that when I'm not around, I'm not going to be around forever, Pastor Stephen. You, know, you do know that, don't you? Uh, one day I'm going to be up there supporting Man United in the sky. Okay? <laughs> I'm providing this platform for whoever comes after me, which probably will be your friend Darry Lou. So, okay, there is a slight, uh, you know, slight difference in our ages, so she's good to go for a few years yet. Now, the Bible says that without vision, the people will perish. How many this morning believe in visions? How many believe in dreams? I do with a passion. Dreams and visions, which if they come from God, are by definition revelation. That's what they are. Dreams are sleeping revelation. Visions are waking revelation. Okay? It's not rocket science. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, verse 29, the Bible declares the following. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But revelation is ours. So we must seek wisdom, of course, but we must seek, above all, revelation from God. We can't demand it. We have to wait on him to give us it. So that one scripture, once I fully understood it, was responsible for helping to change my whole perspective on kingdom thinking. So mark that scripture down. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. Now, our ability to trust God is proportional to our knowledge of him, which can only come by way of revelation from him. Okay? Shortly after, or shortly after I arrived in Colombia in 1999, I had a vision years before, whilst at university in Hull, in May 1991, I had a dream, a dream that was to outline my old destiny. When I came out of prison in 1990, I went to university in Hull, and I think that God used me to break the myth of academia, because if I can get a university degree, Anyone can. I've got to admit this morning that I never read one book all the way through whilst I was at uni. <laughs> Sorry, I had to admit that. But guess what I was good at? Gleaning from the glossaries. Okay, so with my experience of life, I could glean from the glossaries and somehow came out of uni with an honours degree, okay? So, because my dream... Um, Whilst I was at uni, I'll tell you about that dream now, I went to bed praying for direction. We do that every night, don't we, Steve? Well, some nights we do that. Well, occasionally we go to bed praying for direction. Let's get it that way. And I did that night. And, and I had this dream. And the dream was that I was high above uh, the clouds over the northern tip of South America. And for those who are good at geography, you'll know that incorporated into the northern tip of South America are the countries Venezuela, Colombia, and Ecuador. And I was coming in directly over Colombia. And I remember 
storm clouds gathering over Columbia, and I woke up, and I immediately knew that that's where God wanted me to be. Okay, guys? And because my dream in 1991 came true, and my vision in 1999, which I'm going to share with you in just a moment, that came true, that means that they were from God. Okay? That's the most accurate way to measure if a dream or a vision is from God, if it actually comes true. Okay, guys? One day, <coughs> towards the end of 1999, not long after I'd arrived in Colombia, I was on my way to visit a family uh, in this poor neighborhood called Vista Hermosa, which in English means beautiful view. Okay? And I can assure you there's nothing beautiful about the barrio Vista Hermosa. So I was walking down this dirt road, no infrastructure. Uh, there wasn't even a cost of coffee, can you believe that, in this neighborhood? And God spoke to me. Okay, I, I know you're all thinking, well, God always seems to be speaking to this person, okay? And, and that's true, he does. And he's never stopped speaking to me since that Christmas day, 1998, in the prison cell. But we've got to be able to listen to what God is saying, okay? And he's speaking every day through the Bible, you know? So this story is, I was walking along this dirt path, and God said to me, uh, I want you to buy that piece of land. I want you to buy it for X number of thousands of dollars. I want you to put on that land X, Y, and Z. And finally, he said, I want you to buy it with your own money. Okay? So why did I get a bit nervous when he said, buy it with your own money? Well, my mother was born in Dunbar, Scotland. Okay? My mother is called Robina. She doesn't have a middle name, but if she did, it would be Robina Frugality Taylor. My mother was a very frugal person indeed, I can assure you. My mother could peel an orange in her pocket, and she taught her son well. So when God said, buy the land with your own money, I had to think about it for only a few seconds, really, and then I did what he told me to do because I wanted to be obedient to the things that he was saying to me. So we got the land for exactly uh, the price, what God told me to buy it for, uh, and, of course, that land and the multi-purpose ministry that takes place on it now is my legacy to Columbia. We all need to leave a legacy, don't we, on this planet? Is it going to be a positive legacy or is it going to be a negative legacy? Because in this life, often, it's a choice between positivity and negativity. One thing David Chairman taught me was negativity is never, ever from God. That was one thing I remember. From, not, I don't remember much more, but I remember that. Listen, I wouldn't swap that legacy for all the tea in China. And that's saying something for an Englishman, okay? Because I love my tea. My tea is my daily Medicine, is that right, Carol? You've served me several cups of tea. My favorite tea is Taylor's of Arrogate Yorkshire Tea. 
That's my favorite one. Now, my North American friends, uh, who have been nothing but a blessing to me, me, my family, and the ministry, they have no idea how to make a cup of tea. Okay? I say, look, and I have to tell them several times, you, you take this boiling hot water and, and you pour it on top of the Yorkshire tea bag, right? Uh, and then you, you add the milk. But how long do we eat the milk up for? No, you don't eat the milk up before you put it into the teacup, okay? You mean you put cold milk into what tea? Precisely, okay? <laughs> so they don't get that. But, you know, we love our tea. And when we finish the cup of tea, we need to add a spoonful of sugar, don't we? Because it takes a spoonful of sugar to make the medicine go down, okay? It was that Mary Poppins who first coined that phrase. The ministry of Oasis of Hope started under a tree. Humble beginning, right? When I purchased the land, there was nothing on it but trees. Lots of them. The largest tree was named Matthew. Why Matthew? Because an hurricane called Matthew totally uprooted it, you know, destroyed it, okay? It's a long story, but I wanted that tree, Matthew, removed to make way for our proposed student recreation zone. And the entire staff was against it. They're all very environmentally friendly. I'm not saying they're tree huggers, but they're not far off, okay? Ends God, who can at times work in strange and mysterious ways, can't he? Can you all agree on that? God can work in strange and mysterious ways. He removed Matthew for me by that natural occurrence of the hurricane. So I think I owe, uh, you know, I owe God one for Hurricane Matthew. Now, the student recre recreation zone um, is now complete, and it's working amazingly well. All the students all meet there. They have their little drinks there and stuff like that. So listen, <coughs> occasionally, it's necessary to get rid of some of the old established things, like that big oak tree, Matthew, in order to make way for new relevant things, in this case, the student recreation zone. Because new wine is not meant to be poured into old wineskins. Okay, that might be a word for someone this morning. So in the beginning, a few kids were invited to our land and we give them some Bible scriptures and a snack. That was it. But the Oasis Vote Foundation, the church, the schools, the projects, they've grown exponentially since those early days, from those humble beginnings. What does the Bible tell us? Be faithful in the little things, and in you I shall entrust larger things. We now have nine partner projects in total, eight on the Atlantic coast of Columbia, and one, our latest project, called the House of Hope, is situated five miles as the crow flies from Jerusalem. Okay? The House of Hope is a residential project situated in Bethlehem, and they work with blind uh, and mentally challenged children and adults. 
Now, I visited the project in July 2022, whilst in Israel, and I was invited to share a word of encouragement. And I thought, that's right up my street, a word of encouragement, I'm going to do it. So I went and I shared a word of encouragement with the students. And afterwards, the director, a man called Syed, he asked me if Oasis could help uh, the House of Hope. And I thought about it, I thought, what does the Bible tell us? Never get tired of doing good. And I thought, yes, we can help you. I can't tell you in what way we can help you. We can certainly start off adopting you as our one international partner project, and that's what we've done. And since, because our American friends really love anything to do with Israel, they've contri contributed several thousand dollars to that project. So the primary ministerial objectives in Colombia are evangelism, church planting, education, medical missions, food and social action projects. And my personal baby is the Oasis Sports Academy. Okay, it's been running about 12, 18 months or something like that. We invite the kids in from the very poor neighborhoods where they're kicking a, a piece of rag about, using it as a football. They're playing in their bare feet, okay? <clears throat> so we invite them in to the academy uh, and we teach them some life skills. We teach them some biblical principles. We teach them to bend the ball like Beckham, okay? And my son Nathan, he's 14, he's a, a very integral part of our kind of academy. So any child in the neighborhood can come and be part of the academy, providing that they are Manchester United supporters. <laughs> now that's a joke, don't take it literally. So educationally, we've seen hundreds of kids graduate from our schools, go on to university, and graduate with degrees in subjects as environmental engineering. Now, I don't have a clue what an environmental engineer does. All I know is that these kids, many who have come from houses with dirt floors, tin roofs, and little in the way of sanitation, have now got degrees in these subjects. Financial, administration, medical profession, etc., etc. My own daughter, Maria Camila, she graduated from our Oasis school. Uh, and this year, she's going to graduate from university with a degree in international business and marketing. Okay, my two boys, Hudson and Nathan, they both attend the school, which, as I said earlier, is situated in a very uh, poor and dangerous neighborhood. So myself and my wife, Dari, we passionately believe in the things that we are, you know, associated with. The success stories <coughs> what motivates the staff of Oasis of Hope to continue to do what they do, year in, year out. They believe that longevity, okay, is the key to bringing about generational changes. Now, you can change something if you're a missionary on the mission field in three to five years. You can make probably a significant difference if you're on the mission field from five to ten years. But to be involved in generational uh, changes, then you've got to be around for a tad longer than a few years, okay? 
So basically, we have, as I've seen, seen hundreds of kids now pass through our schools and become professional people, okay? Now, in ministry, or Christianity in general, when it comes to perceived success, there are no shortcuts, okay? There's no sweetheart deals. If something sounds too good to be true, guess what? It usually is. The true value of success is determined by the price one is willing to pay for it. I remember a certain mission director saying to me some years back, you will, you will achieve nothing on the mission field if you're lazy. Okay? I suspect that's true today. I can honestly say that in my time on the mission field, I've never been lazy. Okay? Historically, I've always been a 24-7 man. I didn't suffer fools gladly. At times, my tongue could get me into trouble. Can anyone relate to that? Has anyone's tongue ever got them into trouble in this room this morning? Yes, all of us, definitely. So I could be quite scary with my perceived over-the-top Protestant work ethic, okay? But guess what? I've mellowed. You know, getting married and having my kids has turned me into a real softy. My wife says, I'm anyone's easy touch nowadays, okay? In the good cop, bad cop scenario, I'm the good cop. That leaves my wife, who's the bad cop, okay? But she's getting a lot better now she's finished her anger management courses, okay? Don't tell her I said that. I've evolved. I've evolved from being an out-and-out doer to finally gaining the understanding that it's not so important what I do, but it's super important who I am. So the question this morning might be, do we really know who we are? For myself, as you heard previously, I was born again as a Christian in the early hours of the morning on the 25th of December, 1998, at approximately 4 a.m. A Damascus Road-type conversion in the prison. I know it sounds a little bit like, uh, you know, uh, Charles Dickens' uh, A Christmas Carol and Ebenezer Scrooge. He was kind of reborn, wasn't he, on Christmas Day. That Christmas Day, I became a righteous son of God in the prison, Okay? a righteous son of God. In actual fact, I changed species. I transcended from being a human being to an heavenly, eternal being. God is my father, and he's a spiritual being. And I will be too one day. But more importantly, because I'm part of his family, I don't have to prove anything anymore. Can you imagine that? I used to suffer from the curse of comparison. I was always comparing myself to others. And that is a very debilitating curse indeed to suffer from, I can assure you. But not now. Good day at the office. Bad day at the office. I know I'm accepted 
I'm loved and I'm part of God's eternal plan. Okay? I'm not looking for anything. Anything I have, I've received from him. He owns it, and I'm grateful. I am so, so very grateful. What does the Bible say? He who has been forgiven much, loves much. Now, the day that I experienced my Damascus Road conversion in the prison cell, did I become a mature son of God as well as being a righteous son of God? Well, most definitely not. I'm still a work in progress. My wife and kids can testify to that. They say, I am maturing, albeit very, very slowly. So guys, be who you are, where you are. Just be yourself. If that's good enough for God, who after all created you in his image, then that's going to have to be good enough for everyone else, isn't it? So I'm going to talk about innovation and then uh, for not too long, and then I'll finish. So if you remember, innovation was one of the three words given to me as part of my 2020 vision. <clears throat> and I recommend that you pay attention to that word if you want to become the best version of, of who God created you to be. Okay, guys? Now, these days, I've incorporated innovative thinking into my little box of tools and my daily work schedule, okay? One of the stories I believe that best demonstrates the importance of innovation can be found where? In the Bible. The Bible. The most read book in the English language. Okay, guys? You know, I have a prophetic word for someone this morning. Read your Bible. Okay? You can find the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Now, in biblical times, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he was a super wealthy guy. Interestingly enough, like me before I be became a Christian, Zacchaeus' problem was the love of money. In my case, I thought money protected me, catered for all the basic insecurities that I had in my life at that time. Perhaps I was afraid that I would go back to the, the poverty that I was born into. Okay? So the love of money was Zacchaeus' God, a truly merciless, unforgiving God to serve. Is that, is that ringing anyone's bell this morning? One day Zacchaeus said about a man, okay? This man, Jesus Christ, it was rumored, could walk on water. And he could even change water into wine. So Zacchaeus wanted to see this man. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to see a man who it was rumored could turn water into wine? However, being a man short of stature, he couldn't see Jesus through the crowd. It was like all the people in the crowd were basketball players. And they all sat at about six foot ten inches tall. Okay, I'm a Golden State Warriors fan, so I know how tall these guys are. But Zacchaeus, he was not deterred by these obstacles. He ran ahead of the crowd and climbed a sycamore fig tree 
because he was determined to see Jesus. Now, I wonder how many of you guys in this room this morning are determined to see Jesus, okay? I'm determined to meet with Jesus this morning. It might seem like a regular day at the Hope Church in Clifton, Nottingham, but it's not. Jesus is amongst us. It says where two or three or more are gathered, he is there with us, okay? So, Zacchaeus' innovative juices were flowing that day. And he managed to get the best seat in the house, in that sycamore fig tree, and later, much more. So while he was passing, Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down, because today I must stay in your house. You see, Jesus, he knows us all by name. He knows where we've been, he knows where we are now, and he knows where we're going. It even says that, uh, the Bible says that Jesus even knows every hair on our head. Can you believe that? I'm not going there this morning, every hair on your head, but the Bible does say that. <laughs> After the visitation of Jesus and the subsequent events that took place in Zacchaeus' house, he became a new creation. He promised to give half his belongings to the poor and pay back four times as much in restitution to anyone he cheated. And I suspect he cheated many, many people. Now that's what I call a paradigm shift in someone's life. Like Zacchaeus, in the Christian world, we must be prepared to think innovatively outside the box. Because outside of the box, is where the most unlikeliest blessings are to be found. Think about it, that day curiosity took Zacchaeus to see a man and he ended up inheriting and being part of an eternal kingdom. Okay? Moral of the story, if you're going to dream, dream big. Okay? One on the way to fulfilling your dream you must be careful you don't ever compromise your stance in Christ, especially for the riches of this world. Our oldest adversary, the father of lies, will use every trick in the book to get you to compromise yourself. Integrity and honesty are everything in this Christian life, especially in Christian leadership. The Bible says, lose your reputation and you will lose your life. So keep alert. Don't be deceived by flattery. Temptation is merely one thought away. Okay? Don't dabble in your weakness, whatever that may be. Now, I'm going to finish off with this. These days, I view myself as a Nehemiah-type figure. I'm commissioned in this season of my life, to govern, okay? I govern the Oasis of Oak Foundation in UK, USA, and Colombia. So I'm the Nehemiah, and my wife, Dari Luce, is the Ezra. She's the priest. She's the one who gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning praying. She's the one who preaches at the services at 7, 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 11 a.m. So we're very uh, happy with the roles that we call to play 
in this season of our lives. So if you're called to govern, then govern well. If you're called to be a business person, then do it well. In order to do it well, you need to have the courage of your convictions. Your yes must be a yes, and your no must be a no. Now, my daily prayer as I attempt to govern well, and I think you all know it, is the following. Lord, give me the courage to change the things I can, the grace to accept the things that I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference. Courage is an important word. Courage will manifest itself as sanctified tenacity in refusing to compromise on the conviction that one is doing God's will. Okay? Everything I do, I try to do with a degree of excellence, but without extravagance. I live and do life in a little neck of the woods called Santa Marta in Colombia. Most of you I know have never heard of it, and I've probably never heard of the places you were born either. However, what I do over there in Santa Marta is pretty much the same as what you do here in Clifton, Nottingham. I attempt to manifest God's goodness in the community to which God has called me to serve. Okay? That's all he asks us to do. You know, he doesn't ask us to read the Bible front cover to back cover two or three times a year. He, he wants us to manifest its goodness. Now, if we all agree that the Christian's physical body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that means that wherever your body goes, wherever your feet tread, the Holy Spirit goes with you. And it's the Holy Spirit will ma which will manifest itself in the community. It's not rocket science, okay, guys? Now, I regard myself as a very regular Joe, okay? And I'm surrounded by an amazing bunch of people. That's my family and my friends, okay? Actually, my son Hudson, who was named after the famous missionary Hudson Taylor. Anyone ever heard of Hudson Taylor? Yeah, a few have heard of Hudson Taylor. Of course, he went to China and took the gospel of Jesus Christ there and was responsible for millions of, uh, you know, salvations. So my son Hudson... I couldn't resist the temptation of naming Hudson after that great missionary. He says, Dad, don't put yourself down. You're not just a regular Joe. You're at least a regular Joseph. Okay, so I say, I'll take that, son. <laughs> so you've heard the story today, made for mission. Uh, and, you know, I've told you what the team have accomplished. It's all about team in Colombia. It's not about any individual, okay? I can't stress that. Enough. So it's been great to do all that. But they're not the reasons why we're in Colombia. We're in Colombia to actually fulfill the Great Commission. Okay? So that's what we're doing. Um, and that's what we've been successful at in this season. Uh, the story that we use most is the story of Nicodemus. It comes from John chapter 3. So John 3 verse 1 says the following. Now there was a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher 
that was come from God. For no one could perform the signs and miracles that you are doing if God were not with him. So Jesus replied, truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So Nicodemus said, how can someone be born again when they are old? How can they enter their mother's womb for a second time? But Jesus was not talking about a physiological rebirth. He was talking about a spiritual rebirth, of course. And, you know, Nicodemus uh, had to go to Jesus in the dead of night because he was probably too embarrassed to go by day because he had such a status in the synagogue. Nicodemus had a burning question he simply had to ask. He wanted to know how to receive guaranteed salvation and eternal life. And the answer, of course, that Jesus gave him was you must be born again. Okay? Now I know um, this morning the vast majority of you, <coughs> excuse me, the vast majority of you are born again, Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christians. But there might be one or two of you, you know, went to church as a child. Uh, you were part of the youth group. You know, you're, now you're an adult. You've read the Bible front cover to back cover. You attend every meeting there is in this church. But perhaps you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Okay? Uh, you believe that uh, you don't speak to God and God doesn't speak to you. Well, no communication, no relationship. Okay, guys? So I want you to bow your heads now, if you like, and I'm going to say a short prayer. And if what I've said applies to you, that you, are, you believe in God, but you don't have a personal relationship, I want you to say the following things. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I thank you for what um, David has said this morning, and and I think it's brought me a little closer to the understanding of what Christendom is all about. And I acknowledge that, you know, I have served you, but perhaps only 90%. And 90% is not enough. We need to be sacrificing our lives 100% to God. So this morning, Lord God, I sacrifice my life to you. I ask for forgiveness of the errors that I've made, the sins that I've committed, and I ask you to be the Lord of my life. And if you've just said that prayer in your heart of hearts, and God knows your hearts, you're now a true member of the family of God. So congratulations. Stephen, I'm finished, my friend. Okay. Bless you guys. Thanks so much for listening to what I've had to say this morning.